What's up? Welcome to episode 54 of Comic Book Nation, the official podcast of comicbook.com. I am your host, Kofi Outlaw, and back with me in the studio again is my co-host, Matthew Aguilar. What's up, everybody? And today, we have brought in a man for his expertise, and this time, not just the Star Trek expertise, is Mr. Jamie Lovett joining us on the podcast today. Hello. And like I said, Jamie's here to lend some expertise because we have some new Marvel Comics books that we are excited to talk about in this show. We are going to be discussing the debut of Absolute Carnage, and we're going to continue, because this is slowly becoming the uh, Jay Hickman <laughs> X-Men podcast, we continue our examination of the new era of the X-Men with our review of House of X number two, which once again, these books, you pick it up every week and they just keep changing the game. And we are just fresh off of kind of taking in House of X number two. So we're going to, you guys are going to get the real time. Yeah, I was going to say, this is legit. All our mental worms that we're trying to understand. Binge reading. So <laughs> still trying to figure it out. Still trying to figure it out. So you guys are going to get uh, to see all of that. In addition, we are going to be talking about some uh, new things that could be happening in the MCU. Some exciting new uh, projects that are coming to both TV and to movies. We are going to be breaking down some of the juiciest parts of that Arrowverse crisis crossover. And there's a new Marvel TV show on the horizon. So we're going to be talking about all of that. And we will be analyzing the trailer for DC Universe's Titans Season 2. So that's all coming up in our news flash and deep dive. So make sure you stu- stay stu- tuned. Stu- tuned. Make sure you stay tuned because when we get back, we're going to jump into this news flash. All right. So first news story of the day. This is not really a news story, as some of our more trolling commenters like to point out, but uh, <laughs> as I like to respond, well, it's a good thing we are a news and discussion site, because this is, falls into the realm of discussion. We've heard a rumor that uh, the MCU will be soon getting two new members in the form of Galactus and his Herald Tyrant, and this is nothing new. We've been hearing Galactus MCU rumors as long as there's been an MCU, but I did think it was interesting because this led to kind of highlighting, and people seem to be interested in discussing, not just Galactus coming to the MCU, but how he arrives in the MCU. And uh, we had a very popular kind of fan theory go up yesterday, which said that Thanos would have created something like Galactus to kind of be his insurance policy after he used the snap the second time to turn the Infinity Stones to atomized dust. He can't destroy them, so they're dust floating around the Marvel Universe, but Galactus would be his insurance policy, a kind of being who would uh, maintain balance in the universe whenever, you know, populations grew too big. Um, I wasn't so wholeheartedly into that theory. I don't think anybody up here was. Nope. But it did raise a question of how would you like to see Galactus brought into the MCU? And uh, I thought that'd be a fun thing to talk about. So I think I kind of went with my tinfoil hat yesterday. I was telling Jamie, like, my theory. I thought it would be a fun thing to have... Galactus, now that we're playing with a multiverse, kind of have Galactus be a being from a different dimension hmm. because traveling between dimensions doesn't seem like it'd be a big deal for Galactus. Yeah. And after seeing what happened with the snap, the Infinity Stones, the time heist, all that stuff, realizing there's this other dimension, Earth 1999999 or whatever the hell it is, and kind of coming to this universe for fresh food out of a universe that he's already ravaged would be a very interesting way to kind of bring him in. I thought it would also be a very interesting way to kind of introduce the Fantastic Four. I had this idea that I'm going to pitch on the podcast because I have a platform. <laughs> you seem but very basically, proud. Like, yeah. It's basically so Galactus comes from this other universe where he's ravaged everything, and the one person left who's combating him there is Reed Richards, the maker, but the maker version of Reed Richards, 
who lost his family, is all kind of twisted and is the last one trying to hold down and defeat Galactus out of vengeance and anger and all that stuff. So when Galactus comes to this new thing, the Maker follows him, and basically, in this universe, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, they're, you know, Sue, Reed, Johnny, Ben, they're all around, but they're obviously not the Fantastic Four. And this would be an interesting way to kind of set up a Fantastic Four movie, which is that in this other universe, there was a Fantastic Four that was very much the 60s Kirby, you know, happy Fantastic Four, till they got wiped out by Galactus and made Reed twist into the maker, and the movie would be, the MCU movie would basically be him coming to the MCU and having to tell these four group of people who have no real connection besides, you know, Sue, you know, besides their, the ones they had as civilians, you know, Ben's Reed's research assistant, Sue and Johnny are sister and brother, that they are this all-important family unit superhero team, and then create a movie where it's like, awkwardly, these people have to become these people they're supposed to be, but they're really just a dysfunctional group of people for most of the movie Hmm. until they come together. And that would be a really interesting way to kind of do the Fantastic Four in the MCU. So that was just my pitch. That's a good pitch, though. I actually really like that. Fantastic Four is tight. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Insightful. Uh, I I like that. I would think, so I've never been really high on Galactus. Like just stories in general, he's just very boring to me. But also I will preface this by saying I'm just not the biggest Fantastic Four guy. Then you definitely didn't, then you haven't read any of the stuff that Al Ewing did with the Ultimates. Oh, no. That, that stuff was good. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Because I see that character, and I just immediately, like, eh, it's fine. Like, it's not bad. I just, it's never been a thing for me. However, what I would be interested to see is I find Galactus more interesting when, uh, when his goal is, like, not just, like, oh, I'm hungry. Like, I actually would find it more interesting if he was in the service of somebody else. So I actually kind of like the idea of we're, if we're dealing with multiverses, Dormammu is sitting there in another universe and has been built up in the Doctor Strange movie as this like incredibly powerful thing. And the only reason Doctor Strange beat him was to just sit and pick at him to death and just get him in an endless loop, right? He didn't beat him. He just outfoxed him, right? So if you were to say, all right, Dormammu creates, is able to open a, a, a portal or open some kind of opening in space time and let something through, that being whatever Galactus ends up being, right? Some kind of redesign of him, letting him off on there until he can, if he feasts enough, that opens the portal more and allows Dormammu to actually eventually come through. If it's in some kind of way, that would be interesting to me just because it incorporates more of the magic and supernatural side. But honestly, I just don't care about that. <laughs> I, I, feel, I feel totally the opposite of you, I think. Because the whole thing, That's like... That's <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like Galactus is at his best when he's depicted as... This like a force of nature, yeah. not yeah. a supervillain. Yeah. Like there's a reason people haven't just gotten together. Like there's a reason Reed Richard never destroys Galactus, and that's because he's just hungry. He has to eat. It's not like he's doing it out of malice. He needs to sustain himself. It's a it's a curse, and that's one of those classic kind of uh, kind of Marvel stories. It's, it's, yeah. it's a villain, but not entirely a villain. It, it's there's that human element of you know he's doing what he has to do to survive. And that's way more interesting than turning him into this like disaster movie level Godzilla monster to just come smash up the earth to me. I mean, look, I, if you can make him interesting as a character, sure, I, I'm game for that. I just don't see that character ever rise but I mean, further look, than he's, just... But he's, a, he's someone who I think has to be a, a looming threat, right? Where like, I, I still like the idea that he is just 
still very, very far away, mm-hmm. assuming galaxies or whatnot. But the uh, the recent surge in power and energy that has been used on Earth, courtesy of the gauntlet and the stones, has put Earth attraction basically yeah. put us on his radar, and he is making his way here. And that way, it still gives us time to get you know to ha- introduce more sort of characters to the MCU before Galactus finally shows up. And then you basically have a new team facing a threat that is, you know, an apocalypse type, you know, not apocalypse X-Men villain, but like <laughs> an apocalyptic type, you know, end of the world event. But to me, that, that fight is going to be so boring. <laughs> <laughs> when they all get the heroes together, I, but this I could be a thing. maybe that- they'll impress me. Maybe they will make... Galactus as interesting as Thanos was. Well, but Galactus doesn't really fight. I mean, he has like... Yeah. I know, so that's machines. what I'm saying. Like, it's just boring. And if he does that, then he has his own blaster powers. That, but, like, I don't right. even think you need the whole, like, excuse of the, the powers. Like, space is very large. He right. could just not have gotten to Earth yet. But I agree, like, it'd be fun to have, like a post credit scene where it's just, look, we're on nowhere and oh no, Galactus just showed up and you get the idea that he's very far away from Earth because nowhere is very far away. Right. But he is coming in that direction, that kind of thing. Right. Uh, you know he's a that looming presence you were talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because then it's a thing that, that you can play over the course of, you know. Well, I feel like we can't agree on is that we don't want a cloud. No. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, all right. So, Galactus, MCU, we all, I mean, most of us want it, except the hater. <laughs> but how Man, do we I just, get there? I just hate that Tyrant was sort of like looped into that whole like theory thing because has anyone ever like actually seen Tyrant? Tyrant is the most 90s, like, <laughs> you know, full of cables, sharp claws. I mean, I think wild didn't they turn him reject. into a Deadpool villain at some point? <laughs> yeah, I, I fully expect he could be Terax, just named Tyrant. Right. It's just Tyrant is a scarier name. And Terax really just isn't. So I wouldn't be surprised if we get something like Terax. <laughs> they're they're going to Ronin the Accuser him anyway. It doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. So, all right, moving right along. We're going to jump over to horror because uh, I put this in here because one of the films that actually scared the crap out of me growing up, and I wasn't even a kid, I was in high school, was I recently was watching uh, Resident Evil, the first one, which I love that first Resident Evil movie for some reason. It's terrible, but I love it. Uh, yes, I said it's terrible, Jamie, but I still love oh, it. Oh, I was like, I'm not judging. Yeah, you looked at me like a judging. Okay, uh, Paul W.S. Anderson, <laughs> who, strangely enough, became something of a joke in a punching bag for making movies like Resident Evil and that horrible Three Musketeers movie. Um, but Pompeii? Yeah, Pompeii. Oh, my God. I forgot about that. Everybody <laughs> did, hopefully. But, um, yeah, he did kind of score a weird victory at, like, the turn at, like, 1999, around there, with this little cult hit horror film called Event Horizon, which starred a lot of uh, Lawrence Fishburne and some other people about a crew who finds this ship that was lost from, you know, many years ago that had some kind of warp drive that they had invented to bend space and time through black holes. And it went to a dimension that was like basically hell and came back and the ship is alive and infected with something very demonic. Oh, Sam Neill. How could I forget Sam Neill? Sam Neill. Jason Isaacs. Jason Isaacs. Yeah. And so like... Yeah, man, it's a crazy movie about this kind of psychological horror, cosmic, supernatural horror film about this living it's ship and it's what happened to the crew. Life. And it's really weird and, and freaking has some really nasty stuff like people without eyes talking to Sam Neill all the time and he goes crazy and gouges out his own eyes. And yeah, so um, it also has the scariest depiction of what it is to get ejected into space <laughs> of any movie that 
the only movie that realistically really makes you terrified of that. Um, about a guy who gets injected into space without a suit, and they save him, but it is not pretty. So, uh, Event Horizon, I say all that to say, is getting developed into a TV series. And the reason I'm not bringing this up and not going to spend too crazy amount of time on it is because I, I've been one of the advocates that we need more horror TV. Um, I was a fan of, like, The Exorcist. I was a fan of um, The Strain when it was on and all that stuff. And this just kind of sounds like, you know, one I never thought of, but when you, you do it, like, it actually makes a lot more sense as a series. And it's coming from Adam Wingard, who did uh, the Death Note adaptation for Netflix and is doing Godzilla vs. Kong and did, like, you know, I forget his horror films, uh, uh, I, You're Still Here, or whatever the hell it's called. I forget what it is. Um, but I don't it was, remember. Yeah, it was good. It was actually all right. So this is going to be happening, and I'm excited for this to be happening because, like I said, I think it's going to be something that actually works on TV very well as a horror adaptation. Um, and I think it's coming. Amazon Studios and Paramount Television are doing it. So I think it'll be able to kind of really embrace the horror of it and the sci-fi of it to very popular genres here. And, I, and I'm going to like it. Um, I think it reminds me of something I also enjoyed this past year, which was George R.R. R. Martin's sci-fi series uh night flyers night flyers which yeah. was the same kind of event horizon concept i really dug that um yeah but i really dug yeah. it too even though it didn't get like huge buzz it was still like really good and i and i want to see something like that again so i'm excited for this yeah randomly i just rewatched this movie ha- kind of half rewatch i was doing other things but it was on tv yeah that's uh, where i got it too and it's so like it's this weird mix of like hellraiser and alien yeah. And it's not like there's a lot that's not great about it. Like the tone is kind of all over the place, but the visuals of it are very, very cool. Like I saw it as a probably too young to have been watching it. Uh, <laughs> oh, me, me too. And definitely. like when it cuts to like, look at the crew in hell, like that was terrifying and stuck with me for a long time. So if they can do that kind of crazy visual stuff, blending that weird Stygian nonsense with the sci-fi stuff, uh, yeah, that could be terrifying, especially over like a, a good, yeah, just like a good mini mi- good pacing mm-hmm. for like a mystery horror that gradually just gets more and more and more and more horrifying, just like the film does. The film has to do it in this rushed kind of sense, it's like a machine around a clock, but taking some more time and stretching that out. And more importantly, Event Horizon uses a lot of the characters' internal stories for what they see, and like, and so being able to flesh that out a little bit more in each character will be, I think, will be really good. So I'm psyched for that. But we'll move on because I know Jim Viscardi doesn't want to spend too much time on that. He's a horror hater. He wants to go back to comic books. So let's do something. You know, screw what he wants. I like middle ground. So we're going to mix the two. We're going to mix comic books and horror and talk about the director of Venom 2. And Venom. the director of Venom 2. Venom, Venom. 2. Venom. Venom. Electric Boogaloo. Uh, yes. Venom 2 Electric Boogaloo is none other than Andy Serkis of Lord of the Rings and uh, the rebooted Planet of the Apes movie franchise fame, or as we call them, just like the most iconic and I would say even legendary um, mocap actor of the modern age. I mean, oh, this guy's the guru. Like, nobody does it better than him. And I think that, that reassures me because where we left Venom 1 was, you know, introducing Carnage and Woody Harrelson's Carnage. Um, Circus and Harrelson have good... <laughs> So terrible. Anyway, I know. Angry Ronald McDonald. But that's the whole point. Like, Unproven Fleischer, like the old director of Venom. Yeah, Woody Harrelson's Carnage was a joke and a punching bag and looked like really stupid. But 
making a movie about Venom and Carnage with a guy who's the greatest kind of modern creature, actor, or in cre- in kind of visionary around, I feel a lot better about. I would feel better if he was actually the character. Like, he's not playing Carnage. Like, if he was going to give that kind of performance as Cletus Cassidy, I would totally get it. Okay, but, like, just so we are clear, yes. like, he almost functioned as, like, a second director for, True. for and those if, Planet of the Apes movies. Yes. I mean, he held, I mean, he led the actors to create Caesar and his whole... Yeah. World. So this guy, I mean, he. Yes. But directors constantly are just going, Andy, please. It is more, sur- yes, it is more yeah. than a surface thing. I totally get that. I, what I will say is, it is making me more confident. I am actually more excited now that he's on board to see. You want him to play Cletus Cassidy? Oh, I'd take that in a heartbeat. I mean, he made me cra- uh, care about Claw. Like, I don't never cared about that character. <laughs> oh, yeah. He made me God, care. I mean, I'm just totally overlooking his... Like, his so if he can do that universe. with that D-lister, yeah, I'd, I'd be up for that. But I also have faith in Woody Harrelson's so do I. acting ability, so I just feel like that was more... I think it would be a great role yeah. for Woody Harrelson. As, Were you just some... brushing over that weird Jungle Book movie he did? Mowgli? Yep. I was going to bring it up, but it didn't feel like yeah, it needed but that to didn't, punch that down, like, Jim. It wasn't a bother. <laughs> I mean, for as weird as it was, there, were, there was a crowd of people who really, I mean, it was a big talking point, that movie. For I still haven't seen out. it, so I can't say anything yeah, about its quality. But and, it did big numbers for Netflix, And if it? they did things in that movie and applied it to Carnage, then that would work well. Because there were things in that movie that left people feeling like they saw a Carnage movie. Instead. Right, but like, are we really expecting to get a... Rated another rated R, you know, rated R Venom 2. Absolutely, absolutely. If there's carnage in it, like, absolutely. What what I will say, if they don't put make it rated R, they're just like, that's its brand now. They might as well not bother making it. I mean, I kind of agree. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Let me just make this simple. If you could, if if we got a nearly billion dollar movie from the Gangster Squad guy, like, I think Andy Serkis can do better than that. So. I don't Who? know why you're so down on this one. Who's writing oh. this one? Is it the same writer as the first one? Because uh, apparently, uh, are we going to get another turd in the wind monologue? No. Apparently, Tom Hardy helped write it with Andy Serkis. Andy Serkis literally just told that to someone. Wow. Uh, at the TCA's today. Okay then. Tom Hardy is again providing my, input on the story. My excitement is going up. I will say, I never like I've enjoyed Carnage stories, but like typically for Spider-Man or Venom or whoever's involved in them. I will say my bar is a little higher now coming into this whole, and we'll talk about it later, is yeah, absolute carnage thing. Blow the last section of the show. So I was teasing. I was I doing know. a tease. So I will no, say my bar it. is higher because now I'm actually kind of sort of hoping they get it right before I didn't care. But now I'm wondering if this is going to end up being kind of like a, a Deadpool 2 situation where like Deadpool was great and Deadpool 2 wasn't bad by any means, but you could see where like, Ryan Reynolds' depiction of the character kind of took over that movie mm. and it lost some of that tension between the action and the comedy that made the first one good. Like Venom, I enjoyed Venom, but I enjoyed it because it's this ridiculous <laughs> Tom Hardy doing this crazy almost one comedy routine show. in the middle of an <laughs> action movie. And now I wonder if him being so involved with the creative process is going to take away some of that tension and mm. make it. But I think him and but I think because him and Circus are at the heart of it, I think the, I think Hardy is smart enough to know what works. I think he's a guy who gets what works and he doesn't mm. try to battle against what doesn't work. And I think Circus is good. And I think they both understand between Hardy playing Venom and Circus playing Gollum, like how to take somebody who who's crazy or has this internal other inside of them and turn that into real and make mm. hay out of that. So I think you could potentially get a Venom movie that's even funnier when you have, 
you know, Tom Hardy doing his Venom one-man show, and then you put somebody like Woody Harrelson, who's also such a skilled character actor, mm -hmm. doing his own thing with, like, a Carnage symbiote. And, like, you get more of that in this movie, potentially, um, than you had in the first one. And True. I think they could play it to much bigger I'm hopeful. comedic effect. I'm hopeful. Mentioning Golem just made me think about how crazy it would be to have had Circus play Venom and basically do his Golem routine with the symbiote and Eddie. And now I'm kind of sad that it's not that. Now <laughs> now you totally have me thinking yeah. about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Dang it. The what ifs. The what if. We'll save it for an episode of what if. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, Venom will never be touched by the MCU, as Brandon points out all the time. But anyway. Moving right along. So we're going to jump from Marvel over to the DC TV side where we haven't really been keeping you guys up to date. I, I get lazy sometimes because we have such an excellent DC TV crew uh, here at comicbook.com that handles all this stuff like gangbusters. And all I got to do is really read it so we don't have to dip in as much. And so make sure you check that out. Our DC TV crew is, like I said, they're on it. So they've been keeping track of all the things that are going down. Russ Burlingame has been kind of heading this up about uh, the upcoming Arrowverse Crisis event, which is the biggest event in, in the Arrowverse so far. And uh, I thought we'd just kind of make sure we touched in and, and let you know some of the things that are happening over there. We've gotten three big kind of cameo or character cameos that we've or roles in the story that we've kind of learned about. One, first of all, uh, Chris Williams was revealed that Black Lightning – the kind of uh, black middle child of this whole Arrowverse is going to get ported over to the main Arrowverse for this crisis crossover. I'm just kidding. Black Lightning's always been okay on his own. He's okay in his own yeah. universe. No, I mean, I love Black Lightning. And it was just always know. weird that they just, like, kind of, why wasn't that show just well, right into yeah. the Well, as you know from personal experience, well, Supergirl some people was don't kind of think that things are going to be successful, <laughs> right. and so they don't want them to taint the brand, and so <laughs> you can't use titles or you can't use characters and, like... Yeah, and that was just kind of, they were unsure about it. But Black Lightning has found its audience, it's found its footing. Um, and it's a cool character. So it's cool to see him cross over. But I don't necessarily want him to merge after Crisis. Like I said, I've liked it. I know they will. It's inevitable, like Thanos. But, like, I've liked Black Lightning being in his own universe. I yeah. mean, because a lot of that story, and especially the racial themes and things, um, are about, like, him being in a world where there aren't, like, heroes yeah. dipping well, in. I mean, like, Supergirl still exists in its own universe. Yeah. It just... Shows up for the crossover. It just doesn't even, like but that. it doesn't even like its own universe. It's always kind of <laughs> seeking other. I would not be surprised if, if at the very least, like Supergirl is absolutely has to get merged in. Yeah, yeah, no, they all are. I think post crisis, yeah. it'll all be in one new world, still <laughs> new, spread out, new Earth, but like, yeah. <laughs> so uh, Black Lightning is going to be part of Crisis officially. Um, Brandon Routh is going to be playing the Kingdom Come version of Superman. Yeah. Making reference. It'll probably be different, but making uh, Easter egg reference to one of my favorite comic book stories, period, of all time. is still Kingdom Come. Um, just a great story. If you don't know what we're talking about when we say Kingdom Come, you need to go, and if you're an Arrowverse fan especially, you need to go read that. Yeah, one of the really. greatest. Mark Wade, Alex Ross, about a future of the DC Universe where a new generation of metahumans has sprung up that... Don't give a f about their parents' Superman generation and are way more violent and kind of sending the world towards the end of collapse. And uh, Superman and the classic Justice League have to kind of come out of retirement. But the game has changed a lot, and it's in the in the Kingdom Come Superman is so iconic mm -hmm. because he was this Superman who just became kind of disillusioned with how harsh the world of superheroing had become. And people looked at him after this disaster where Captain Adam became an atom bomb. Yeah. Um, looked at him as being too soft and too old. And it was really ahead of its time, like in the 90s when this came out, for, for like the literal struggles that Superman would go into, mm -hmm. like for the, in the new millennium with fans and 
trying to keep him relevant. So um, I'm really excited about Brandon Routh, and I'm excited that Brandon Routh gets to suit up again as Superman. That mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, as a cool. I am a ardent Superman Returns hater, but I feel oh. like that guy has really earned his spot. <laughs> I, I totally was prepared for you to say that. I love that movie. Oh. And I was like, ooh, Kofi. No. I've only seen absolutely. it once. No. I didn't hate you guys, it. I mean, you guys know I'm a Man of Steel. Like, I'm a Man of Steel. We like, hear that? Apologist and Jamie just uh, dropped Ultra that. fan. What? I didn't hate Superman Returns. I've only seen yeah. it once. <laughs> <laughs> I was not going to let. Jamie just dropped by fire. That's all I'm saying. Anyway, yeah. Um, so I'm happy for Brandon Ralph because he really <laughs> earned his spot in the Arrowverse. So I'm happy to see him get to suit up. Also, it's one of my favorite. One, oh, what's that? It's oh. also one of my favorite renditions of Green Lantern ever. Oh, yeah. Is that you know, he's got the full armor and he's got the freaking lance. And like, yeah, and he's all He old has the city. And, like, oh, my God. Oh, yeah, and the whole Emerald City, the Flash. Like, all those characters in Kingdom Come are just so, so good. So okay, good. Um, and the final one, the one I'm most excited about, the one you're most excited about, the one any DC fan is most excited about, Kevin Conroy, the voice of animated Batman, <laughs> is going to be playing live-action Batman. Well, Bruce Wayne, let's, let's slow it down. The man's a man of a certain age. He's in the right not to be putting on weird latex tights and running around. Yes, fair. Um, but Bruce Wayne, an older version of Bruce Wayne. And I wonder if he's like, I mean, I haven't, I actually, oh man, I didn't read fully into the Conroy thing. They, they have the not Conroy. said, they have not said. But I would assume he's also the Kingdom Come alternate of. That's the Superman. assumption. Yeah. But like, I want, I wish it was Batman Beyond oh, Bruce oh. Wayne on that. Oh, I mean, and, and that's still a possibility. Yeah. Like, that's very much still a possibility. I mean, I mean unless you're going to introduce Terry McGinnis, then what's the difference between <laughs> Batman Beyond Bruce Wayne and King of Well, because I, ima I imagine there's going to be a bunch of these, just, like, glimpses, right? Yeah. Like, you know, like, they said Burt Ward is going to be in Smallville. it. Smallville. So, like, I imagine it's just going to be a Red Sky-type moment where you're going to get glimpses of each of these cameos. And so, you know, at that point, why not just have... Like, like, I mean, like the fan art that, you know, you posted this morning, right? Of him standing, you sit next to his dog like that. He, that could be the moment mm. in this. I still Batman really Beyond. hope that, uh, Welling get shows up. I know that rumor's been yeah. out there. So I kind of hope, I hope the same thing though, right? right? Yeah. It's not the biggest thing, but if it's just a look at like him on the farm, yeah. I'm like, dude, that oh, means yeah. more. I just, want, I just want a moment of just like Batman small, no, just Smallville arrow next to, oh, uh, yeah. I love that <laughs> arrow. That'd be uh, awesome if they had like a Captain America style like arrow fight before his <laughs> before his this is us money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. That'd be great. So exciting things are happening. I mean, crisis is shaping up. I mean, I've liked all the Arrowverse crossovers, but I've been the first to admit that they kind of skirt the line of being true crossovers, like mm -hmm. the Supergirl one where it was at the very end. Oh yeah. Like the last two seconds were like, oh no, crossover. And it's like <laughs> part one of our crossover. It's like, no, not really. Well, what, 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 that's very comic booky, actually. The one, but the one before that one, was that? Invasion? Yeah, the one basically based on convergence or, or mm -hmm. kind of using the using those aliens. That one was a bit more of a full fleshed yeah. crossover that, you know, between at least the three shows. Yeah, that was. But then the third, the next one, yeah. our, uh, Crisis on Earth X, was yeah. didn't have legends. So to me, there is no crossover if you don't have legends. Yeah, so you, <laughs> They're my favorite. Out of three They're crossovers so far, we've had like really one. Yeah. Full fledged crossover. This could be, I mean, like, this is, has the, the makings of being a very cool end game like mm -hmm. television event. Yeah. 
and and I'm really psyched for it. So um, those cameos alone, and I hope there are a lot more because there are so many more. Mm-hmm. I would love to see Tom Welling and um, what's his name also return. Oh, Rosenbaum. Yeah, Rosenbaum. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. that would be great to see him like staring out of a window all sinister just for a second. Like, I heart that show so much. Anyway. <laughs> I, I hate that show, but I would still. Oh, I, <laughs> I mean, I was doing this at a time and place where uh, we were covering this. You know, speculation pieces about the Smallville finale are part of my career. You know what I mean? So like, I, I, I think would we love get that through. I think we get Steel. I remember oh, God. <laughs> Man. No, nobody's clamoring for the cast of Birds of Prey to come back? Uh, 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 yeah, I, would I would actually love to like see that. that it would be like seeing that Iron Man 3 kid in Endgame. Maybe Dude, I like, loved Huntress <laughs> in that show. Would <laughs> he be like, who? Um, so, yeah, keep your eyes on Crisis on Earth X. I told you, our DC TV team is on it, so check over there and make sure you're keeping up because there's a lot of stuff coming out, and it's exciting. I own that series on DVD. All right. <laughs> you would. <laughs> Jesus, Matt. Last but not least in our news flash, which is almost our whole show now, apparently, um, we're going to be talking about, we're going to plug that uh, Avengers Endgame is now out on digital. It's coming out on Blu-ray. And with that, we have been learning some interesting new insights for the film because of the commentary tracks to it. Um, the directors and the directors, Joe and Anthony Russo, writers Christopher uh, McFeely, Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely have all been kind of dropping some gems. Some of them are really interesting about things you didn't know about in the film, and we have them all for you. Are, they, are they dropping gems or dropping stones? Oh, did they oh. change the name? So. I see what you did there. Uh, I honestly but, uh, didn't I will think say, they I will had say, as the, as the person transcribing almost all of this and having done the Thank one for, for Infinity that. War... Um, this commentary track is way better than the other one. I imagine because they can now just say everything, right? I didn't think that, like... They should go back and do another commentary for Infinity (laughs) Infinity War. When I saw all those drops... real Infinity War. I was was dreading it because I'm like, oh my God, I'm so Yeah, and I love how you describe making work for us. (laughs) (laughs) But they've had really interesting... It's it's been a really great track. Yeah, they've surprised me. Yeah, so make sure you check those out because... Like I said, we got a lot of interesting insights into Endgame. Um, things from just like explaining the Soul Stone and and how that all makes sense to is there two caps running around the timeline and the and they address a lot. So now that because now the secrecy's up, they can actually talk and they and they actually address things from Infinity War. We get some retroactive stuff. So make sure you check that out. All right, but finally, ABC. Speaking of Marvel, we're getting a new Marvel TV show reportedly, but it uh coming to ABC. Oh. But like, uh, you know, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.'s on its way out, and ABC's got to have something, something. So they're going to do a new uh, Marvel TV show. And it's, I mean, the reports on this are kind of odd. It's something, quote, something brand new. Mostly. Mostly brand new. Mostly brand new. Which, like, what the hell does that mean? I don't know. I I have no idea. But it's going to be, uh, there are active talks about one project in particular, ABC president said, and it's going to be a female Marvel hero. So can I throw That's something up, brand new, mostly. Can, can I throw out my theory then? Are you going to say... Who are they going to I was going to say Kamala Harris, but uh, Kamala Khan? No, I, I think it's going to be a like uh, live-action take on Marvel Rising because they would bring Quake over from Agents, which would be the mostly part, like, so you would be taking an established character, and then she would lead a team of younger heroes, which would be just like books. Like, that sounds uh, okay. like a freeform show, not an ABC. I'm, I'm saying that's I would, my theory. I would love that. I mean... I well, Secret Warriors was like one of my favorite books of the 2000s, like such an underrated book. I mean, that was like a, a quarter of an arc on one season of uh, <laughs> right? Shield, right? Like, but it yeah. would get you America, but do yeah. a real, and it would get you like it would get you some really interesting 
characters yeah. established in the TV side right. that you might not want to do in the movies, and right? It would, I think that's a good theory because for Kamala, that would make movie. sense because, I mean, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. has really been about training Daisy Johnson to become the next era of S.H.I.E.L.D. of leaders. I mean, that was like her whole arc from the very beginning when she was Sky. And they were like, we got to do something better with this character. And then they, you know, set her on the path to being quick. And she's been training for all this. And now, like, Coulson's out of the way. And she's kind of stepping up and being a leader. And I figure, like, at the end of the storyline, it's the end for May. Um, she would be, you know, the next one in line to kind of do something like that. So that'd be cool. And it appeals to a different demographic because, I mean, look, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is on because Marvel... <laughs> Like Disney, ABC needed a show, right? So it's not like Humans fans are turning come. out in droves to support the show, Jamie. I'm sorry, I know you watch it all the time. So, <laughs> so I'm saying a, a different demographic, surrounded by people, might be that I don't mean, younger. But I don't think people are going to show up in droves to watch a show about Daisy. I it's not no, about it's not. Daisy. It's not about it's Daisy. It's just a connective thread right. that they know. Like yeah, yeah. it's about it's establishing be, it, a new generation of heroes. To launch a new ABC show. About a completely new team of heroes. Like you bring over someone that tethers it. The most popular character aside from Coulson on Agents of Shield is Daisy. <laughs> so I would you bring argue the it's, it's it's more May. May or even Fitz or Simmons at this point. Mm. No, but she's up there. I mean, Quake is up there. People love Quake. Like, <laughs> dude, have you ever watched like an Agents of Shield episode in yes. the Comic Con? Do you oh, see the comments? Yeah. Do you see People the comments? No Quake. one's yeah. yeah. Send all your Quake love to Jim on Twitter. (laughs) Tell him how much you love Quake. Chloe Bennett, we love Quake. I think you're ignoring the core network television demographic that should obviously be a She-Hulk show. Mm -hmm. I do. I love that, too. She-Hulk procedural, man. I would Mm -hmm. sign sign me up for that right now. Like like Dan Slott? Lawyer by Dan? She-Hulk? Whoever, yeah. Lawyer, lawyer. I'm totally cool with that. How she solved a domestic abuse case would be great. Sign me up. That husband through a wall. That'd be a great commercial right there. Like if she showed up at somebody's. You're full of pitches today. (laughs) I'm in the wrong business, man. All right. So that'll be it for me and my pitches. When we get back, we are going to deep dive into some new comics this week, including Absolute Carnage in House of X number two. And we're going to talk about the Titan season two trailer. So be sure to stay tuned. All right. Matthew Aguilar, you are going to take us through comics. I figure we're going to all talk about House of X. You know, yeah, let's start with that one because yeah, it's going to take the longest. <laughs> it's going to take the longest. Oh, I'm so sorry for overtime. Uh, I'm not sorry to you, the listeners. This is good stuff, but uh, to our technicians and stuff, I'm sorry. But um, all right, we love you guys. So House of X number two. Yeah, this is going to take some unpacking because we all sat here and had like a little book club in here where we were all, you know. It was the quietest the office has been in like so long. Until we all got done. And then it was the loudest the office has been in a minute because we were all like, what? Um, So this is going to be a full spoilers review discussion of House of X because by the time you hear this, it's going to be out. Yeah. So you guys can read through it and join in. If you haven't yet, do not listen. This is a spoilers review of House of X number two. Yes. All right. So in House of X number two, it revisits the scene that Marvel told us early on before any of this dropped that would be the most important scene in X-Men history. And I had to cover that story when it first dropped. And it was just a splash page of a scene of... Moira McTaggart and... and Talking heads. (laughs) Yeah, talking heads. One panel of Moira, one panel of of Xavier, alternating all the way down a page, and she says, you know, he says, hello, do I know you? And she says, why don't you read my mind and see? And he does, and his thing is like, oh boy, when he reads her mind. And that's all we got. And it's all pink and yellow colored backgrounds and stuff. It's all bright and cheery. Um, And so we were like, okay, when we had to do that article. And then they revisited it, and uh, was that Powers of Ten or... 
or House it of was one? Powers of that was Powers of Ten yeah. one showed it, and then we were all like, well, I don't get why. Yeah, is this we don't the most get impor- why is why this is this the most important, important page? And we got lost because that book also introduced like yeah, a ton of <laughs> a million other futures, <laughs> three or four different new timelines where drastic things happen. Well, along comes House of X number two, looks at Powers of Ten number one, says, "Hold my beer." <laughs> <laughs> so like in the first just pages is we go back to this scene. Or no, we don't even go back to it Like before we get this whole background on why this scene is indeed the most important scene in the history of X-Men by telling us just one major reveal after the other. The first being that Moira McTaggart is and always has been a mutant. Yes. And she knows that. Not only is is she a mutant, but her mutant power is basically Groundhog Day. Yeah, um, reincarnation. Yeah, reincarnation. So she dies at the end of a lifetime, then she goes back to the start of her own lifetime in the same year that she was born, and she starts over a new life with full knowledge of the lifetime she lived before. So, okay, that's enough. That's just the first pages. <laughs> um, <laughs> Literally, like first two pages. Yes. Like run down how the whole basically premise of House of X two is running down the. Nine lives that Ten Myra. Lives. Well, I'm, I'm saying the nine lives she has lived. I was trying to do it like a fancy setup. Oh, make sorry, it sound like I, a I cat was, reference. Well, yeah. Um, so <laughs> the nine lives that Moira McTaggart has lived before, and and how it kind of feeds into House of X number one, and and the kind of modern timeline of Powers of X or Powers of Ten being her tenth life, um, where she creates the House of X and Krakoa and all that stuff happens, which we saw in the first book. So this is her 10th life. Um, but this book gives us the backstory of the other nine lives. And brother, my God, the things <laughs> that happen in this book. There's entire timelines where she like marries Xavier um, and creates a different kind of Genosha name uh, far away, like in their thing. There's a timeline where she allies with Magneto and tries to like take over the world. And she's a al- timeline where she al- she wakes up Apocalypse early and and runs and starts a whole new Apocalypse conquest and becomes a horseman. And right? becomes a that's horseman her in the yeah. shot, right? Yeah, yeah, her in the shot. And then later on, they're fighting back to back. Like, yeah, she becomes a horseman, starts a whole new Apocalypse line and an Apocalypse war, kills a bunch of people like Magneto and Xavier, and does that. Um, yeah, it, she dies. Yeah. She, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah so we watch one timeline in the middle of her lives where, you know, she invents the cure for, for the mutant X gene. She discovers it and she does that thing. Like we saw in astonishing, almost like astonishing X-Men number one, only this time it's Moira, um, except freedom force intervenes because destiny has become aware of Moira McTaggart having this power. Um, and is the sole person because one of her functions of her mutation is other mutants. She, nobody can detect that she's a mutant. Which is a nice way of saying, yeah, don't try to come at us with any cerebro crap because <laughs> this is, or any kind of psychic crap, or how did Xavier never know? This is why. Um, it, it, it goes to great lengths to say she kept this purposely a secret from Xavier and everybody else because she wanted to cure the world. She saw mutants as a disease and wanted to cure it. Um, and that was kind of her goal. And later on, and so like basically, Freedom Force intervenes in one of her lives when she discovers the cure. They, Destiny sits her down in the most gangster Destiny yeah, that was, scene of any X-Men book in history. That was a Guy Ritchie scene. Yeah, and like, basically says, if you keep this up, like, I know your powers, and you only have about a, 10 lives, 11 if you make, like, all of the right choices. Um, but if you keep messing around trying to wipe out mutants or cure us, like, I will show up. My powers will tell me. I will show up every time, and I will murder you, basically. 
And to make that drive that point home, she has Pyro burn her alive so that she can remember that when she gets reborn again. Slowly. Yeah, slowly <laughs> burn her alive. Um, yeah, so it's pretty gruesome. So I'm talking a lot, but basically the book goes through all of these lives and then sets up that Moira McTaggart, through trial and error, just like Groundhog Day, learned that all the things she thought might work, you know, trying to cure humanity, trying to follow Xavier's dream, trying to follow Magneto's dream, trying to follow... Apocalypse vision. She even tries one. She becomes assassin and kills the entire line of the Trask family. <laughs> I love that one. That timeline yeah. was awesome. Yeah. Nuts. But then, but it doesn't matter because, yeah. you know, Hickman says basically like AI is as inevitable evolution as mutants. And so some other humans fire. Um, and if you don't know about fire, the why people use that analogy is like once one caveman made discovered, it was always there. But once one caveman discovered it, everybody had fire. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and that's kind of the thing with the Sentinels. It doesn't have to be a Trask. Eventually somebody does that. So, yeah, at the end, it basically just sets up all of this craziness just sets up one more mystery, which is what does she do? Did she and Xavier choose to do after that beginning panel where she shows him what he reads in her mind is basically all of the nine lives that she's lived before. And in this 10th life, she says they decided to do something very radical and different, which is where we're starting to see, which then all of this is just preamble to bring us back to the beginning of House of X again. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Did I get an A on my book report, teacher? I, I think that was pretty good. That was a Hickman-level yeah. info dump right there. <laughs> <laughs> Needs more graphs. Yeah. <laughs> oh. oh, yeah. We didn't even mention the book ends in a graph that if you're reading it the way we did in, like, PDF form or online. Or it Charlie extends. with yeah. his eight screens. <laughs> Dude, it takes multiple computer screens to lay this thing all out. And it's the timeline of everything that happens in Maury McTaggart's life, which is, like, you know, about six to nine X-Men series you can make out of that right from there. Okay. Yeah. I, I want Jamie to throw his theory out there about what life 10 is like and what may be life 11. Yeah. I think so, it's a great one. So we know that House of X is taking place in her 10th lifetime because that's on the chart yeah. at the end of the book. So the question now is, there's the Marvel Universe as we've known it with the X-Men. Is that part of the 10th lifetime or is this a different one? So the theory I'm wondering is, does this end with Moira's death and we find out that the Marvel Universe we've been following before Hickman took over is her 11th life? And that's why it's different because House of X is taking place in a different one of her timelines. I don't know how to rectify that with the fact that hmm that entire slate of new X-Men books they have coming out all appear to be taking place in the House of X timeline because it would be a huge departure for them to just say, yeah, we're just going to have the X-Men take place in this alternate timeline from here to the foreseeable future. We haven't really seen something like that since Age of Apocalypse. Yeah, and then it was like a, we're going to cancel all the other books. This is very clearly like a, a temporary, an event thing. Yeah, They didn't say that at the time, but it was clearly like, they made it clear that this is a different thing than your average Marvel. So universe. are you, would you not want to, cause like personally, like I, I mean, that theory is great, but I would rather them just go forward in a new timeline and not like say that I don't necessarily want them to tie this up in a bow at the end and go, all right, well we're back here. We just have all this new information and context. Like I want them to go forward in the radical. Like I want them to kind of embrace that. Cause then what was the point? If we just return to a little bit different status quo, what's the point of doing all this? Like yeah. it's fun. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I don't know. Like there's option one is like 
this has always been the timeline we're in. And so Xavier has always known. And then you just have to go back and reread everything in this new light. Uh, and the idea that Moira and Xavier have been planning this nonsense from the beginning. And that's one way of doing it. The other way of doing it is somehow merging this timeline with the one we've known. Like, I don't know. There are so many high concept things going on. And there's the question of, again, the pod people from the first one. Yeah. Like, uh, I think uh, somebody else in the office, I don't remember if it was you, Kofi, or someone had the idea or that maybe this is the pod people are these new X-Men that have Moira's memories or something like that. Like there are so many possibilities and literally like no answers. And, and the thing is like Hickman is such a like auteur type creator that you can't tell what is his authorial fiat. Like I'm just going to ignore this other stuff cause I don't like it. And what is like something you should be considering a clue. Like now we know that everything's different maybe because this is a different timeline or is it different just because he didn't feel like it should be the way it was. We don't know yet. We probably won't know until the end of this, yeah. but he, he's definitely fulfilling the promise he made before where like every time you read one of these new issues, you're going to go back and, and re-examine yep. the previous issues and be like, well, wait a second now because powers of 10 now has like, double meaning mm -hmm. because it's the timelines, the different like year 100, year 1000, but also the 10 lives of Moira. Yeah. And how does that factor into what happened in powers of 10 is powers of 10, the entire future of her 10th timeline. Like I'm giving myself a migraine, just trying to, to piece this together, but it's all really fascinating. Like we've seen versions of this kind of story where it doesn't capture you. And so it just all feels kind of like, it becomes boring rather than enthralling. It doesn't make you want to solve the mystery. It's just like, can we get over it, please? This is not that. This yeah. is something else. Yeah. The way this is going, it makes me feel like we could always, at the end of all of these books, we could just go back to that first to me, my X-Men scene and just have it mean, be the launch of a new era. Now we just fully under, understand how crazy the context is. Mm -hmm. uh, because that scene still is one that we keep coming back to about like what is happening when... You know, we see this Xavier who kind of looks like the maker saying this and all these pod people are crawling out. Like, I wouldn't be surprised at all if Hickman, like, took us back and ended, like I said, right there. And it's just like, oh, but now you understand, like, how much more important this is and what's being set up. So, all right, we could go down this for days. Yeah. We could start a whole process. It's so good, man. It also gives Marvel an, an easy out with this Moira mechanism that... If after all this Hickman stuff, they decide they don't want to do it anymore. So they, walking, talking, yeah, reset button. Just kill Moira again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I yeah. hope they don't do we that. Didn't <laughs> get, we didn't even get to the mechanics of how her powers might work. Like, does she reset the universe? Does she create a new universe? What's going on? <laughs> we can't go down that rabbit hole. No. we got to move on because Matt's going to take us through some other things. Uh, yeah. uh, the next big important one on comics front was Absolute Carnage number one. Uh, yeah, so this is Venom has been leading up to this for a minute. Uh, kind of establishing a whole new uh, thing with the symbiote and Eddie's relationship with the symbiote and his son and all this other stuff right in the core book. And they've slowly been doing like all these little after like post credit scenes essentially with Carnage and, and sync it up. And now you have Noel who is like the originator and creator of them. Right. And it turns out like he's alive somewhere. And so there's a lot of if like I am not comparing it to House of X in any context, but I'm saying for this for Venom and for Carnage and for that kind of area of the universe, there's some really interesting stuff here. Uh, you don't have, you don't need to have read 
the Venom run to get into this. So I would say if you were interested in it, want to give it a chance, just pick this up because one, it's a gorgeous book. This book is beautiful. <laughs> this is some of Stegman's best work. I mean, hands down. I, every page, there's just so like it's it's so pretty, and there's some really interesting stuff. And if you like those kind of classic Venom, Spider-Man type things. There's a lot of interesting stuff at play Makes here. Me miss Stegman on Spider-Man. He, Man. I think, by, like at this point, probably draws my favorite Spider-Man. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah. And so, very good. Very, I, I recommend that wholeheartedly. So this is a Carnage story worth getting into? Yes, absolutely. Um, and, and you can jump right in, which is actually kind of nice. Yeah, like, like it, in the first... Two pages. It yeah. does a great job of summing up all the null oh, stuff. That gorgeous splash page. Yes, <laughs> and then all the venom stuff. If it doesn't have charts. <laughs> I mean, there's no charts. There's no charts. No, but it does have a thing at the end, which is actually really cool. The, that I kind of want to see more of the like the weird chat transcripts. Yeah. Of Cletus uh, Cassidy with his psychiatrist um, at Ravencroft is actually like it. I mean, it reads as sort of a transcript that's kind of pure prose and a word done, but it's fascinating stuff. Yeah. Um, and like, you know, if you're just a Carnage fan and you know about Carnage, but not, you just sort of hear that kind of in his voice and it's almost Joker-esque in a way, but like just way more sadistic because he doesn't give an F. Yeah. It's, it's very good. Can, cannot recommend that more. If you are looking for something a little, uh, less like, um, uh, there's less not, it's not a ton of lore. I would say deceased, uh, number four is out. So uh, not less blood and gutsy. Not, no, not in <laughs> at all. Uh, and this just has some very, I mean, we're already in spoiler territory, so it's okay. This has some surreal, like stuff like cyborg literally blows a giant hole in like Giganta's head, <laughs> like comes through and he's just staring through the hole and can walk through it. Right. And that kind of stuff happens. Like, like cities get decimated. Uh, and there's some really interesting, like heartfelt stuff in this book as well. Taylor's really good at that. Uh, but there's just a lot of like carnage, not to tie it to the what? other thing, but it's just, it's really interesting how he does it. He finds creative ways and heartfelt ways to get you invested. So it's not just, oh, hey, I thought up this crazy way to kill somebody. It doesn't become like Final Destination. It's, but it still has enough character stuff there. It's really interesting. Uh, Agents of Atlas, number one, launched. Um, I, I really like the premise. Essentially, the premise is that there's a new uh, part of the world they're calling Pan, which essentially is like if down the street you had one section that was literally had uh, portals to all these different cities. So like, it's like Hong Kong, it's New York, it's, uh, oh God, there's, uh, there's, like, there's like six or seven cities and I'm, I'm forgetting all of them. But it's really interesting because in this one world, it's very topical, seeing like, if you introduced where all these people, you just told them like, hey, for a subscription fee, you can travel instantly to any of these places and you don't have to have passports you don't have to have like any of the government red tape you can just literally walk from one part of the world to the other and live in this place as long as you pay like a netflix subscription fee what would you do and they think like oh this chaos is going to break out because people can't deal with people that are any different than them and then it's very much the opposite there's some interesting things that uh greg peck dives into there so it's a really interesting premise and it's got a cool group of characters uh i wasn't in love with the art but 
there's a lot of really interesting stuff there. Uh, also, for fans of uh, <laughs> Batman and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, that series is still way more fun than it has any right to be. Uh, it's still got all the mashups. So, like, you have you're Clayface. Lighter. I thought this is where you were going. We were first oh, saying, like, no, Clayface uh, Rocksteady is like those kinds of mashups, a crazy Joker shredder, and all those things. It's, it's got enough uh, substance. To like, it's not just a bunch of fan service. It's actually kind of fun, and these have just been just these have just been really fun and entertaining. Uh, and then, last but not least, I will say, Old Man Quill. I haven't really, I haven't really loved any of the Old Man books aside from the original Old Man Logan. Yeah. Like that, that's the only one I really like. Was an actual series concept, yes. as opposed to just rehash. And then it's been run into the ground with Hawkeye, and then the Old Man Logan actually never ended, and all this other stuff. I However, like I made a joke to you guys several years ago. <laughs> <laughs> that this was going to be a thing, like we're just going to get. Old I think you did. I think I remember that. Yeah. Uh, here's the thing, though. This one issue was actually pretty good, and it's just because it's a payoff for. <laughs> I mean, it took eight issues to get here, but it's a payoff of Quill has essentially like it does one of those Shyamalan twists where it's like, hey, by the way, the rest of the Guardians weren't here the entire time. It was Quill, and it's like. A story of like guilt and him dealing with some things that happened before and it does one of those splash pages where like you see moments that you saw earlier in the series and then you see them how they really were it's a really that part's really interesting um i would not say you have to dive into the entire series to read it i'm just saying maybe check this particular issue out because it's actually pretty good uh but yeah so that's what's happening in comics if by the way if you stopped reading house of x like four times over so <laughs> all right so to wrap this all up, we got our first look at the trailer for Titan Season 2. Kobe needs to do I did that for Jim Viscardi, who is also kind of soured on Such Titans. a hater today. Such a hater. But uh, On Titans, dude. Yeah, Titans. It's not. It's not. Um, the reason I brought this up is Titans was a surprise, I think, to a lot of us. We saw the first trailer and we're like, oh, we don't know. Yeah, F Batman trailer, I don't know about this. But it turned out to be pretty good fun. Um, not as fun as Doom Patrol, I will, or The Boys, or huh. Umbrella Academy necessarily. It's gonna be hard. Uh, to top but the for fourth place of 2019, I, I'd say Titans was a pretty good. Had a pretty good run. I mean, it came out in 2018, was it? Yeah, yeah. last year. So, um, but I think what was interesting about this trailer that I didn't know, maybe this was just my own lack of research, was uh, I'm wondering how this season is going to unfold the storyline because it seems to not necessarily resolve. The cliffhanger ending of season one, <laughs> uh, we kind of jump back into a full Titans universe where the team has evolved, kind of like Young Justice. Uh, as Young Justice came back every season, the team had grown and evolved, um, and then it was like a, basically like almost like an anthology. And so we come back, and there is a new Titans team. All of them are, oh, I'm sorry, much more into their hero roles and like you know, into being superheroes. They're kind of a unit. They're fully established. We have new members like Aqualad is in there. Um, Donna Troy is fully in there. Um, and so, like, yeah, we're going to get to see that. We got to see our first look at Ian, uh, Yane, Yane Glenn, or whatever his name is, uh, Bruce Jorah Wayne. Mormont from Game of Thrones <laughs> as Bruce Wayne. Um, my boy, uh, Kieran Walters, says, does, um, What's his name? Jason Todd is coming back. To Best be moment part. of the trailer. Yeah, Titans are back, bitches. <laughs> like, yeah, like, I love that kid as Jason Todd. Like, uh, he's so good. so good. And yeah, man, um, so I think this is going to be interesting because it feels like we're going to jump in and skip the cliffhanger ending. And I'm wondering because 
I don't, I'm going to tell you right off the bat, if this is all a fantasy season, it's all a dream, like the whole Batman episode was, and we caught the Batman thing early because there were enough clues that yeah. this was all a fantasy, but if this is all a fantasy, I'm going to be really pissed. Um, I hope they don't do that either. I hope they do something more along the lines of like a reverse kind of flashback mystery, like, you know, they solved all the stuff with, uh, what's Raven's father's name? Trigon. Uh, Trigon. I wanted to say, uh, in my head I was thinking Trigon, I was like, isn't that an anime guy? Uh, no, <laughs> but it is Trigon, demon name, weirdest one. But uh, yeah, what happened with Trigon, what def- how did they defeat him, and what the consequences are, because Raven now has that mark on her head, um, like what what was the consequence, and I, and I hope that feeds into the season narrative as you learn more and more in bits and pieces, it kind of changes and it, it opens up some kind of surprise or something. I mean, I know there were some rumors kind of going around there that essentially, like, it would just deal with it in the first episode, that it was kind of going to just, let's just play out the rest of that story and, and have that happen in, like, that the first two episodes. equally cheap. If yes, it was just I agree. Like, this major arc of season one, eh, we're tired of Yeah, that. let's just let's move on. Uh, I do, I like the flashback theory. Uh, I just want to see more of them as a team. I mean, we spent a giant part of the first season just seeing them in like duos and a yeah. cent, you know, occasionally together, a trio. Like I really wanted to kind of, when I mean, they show that scene where they're walking down the hallway and I'm like, Hawk and Dove are right there, MVPs of the season. I want them back in 10 times more ways here. Uh, Donna Troy was also great in the very limited time yeah. uh so i'm i'm in i love that show jamie i haven't watched it yet all right and there, <laughs> there well jamie, you don't even ask me you're gonna, throw, no, you're a hater. <laughs> you're gonna throw some shade my way you're not even ask me about the issues that i have with this trailer hater. jamie well, is standing I, I am, in for 90 percent of the current viewership of <laughs> to be fair it's not that i don't want to it's that for whatever reason that app does not work at my house on my Kindle Fire does not. Please yeah. put out a con- an app on a console, please. Ninety percent of attempted <laughs> DC Universe viewership. So uh, there you have it. But all right, check out the season two trailer for Titans. It's now on our site, and uh, that'll do it for us today. So if you are just getting involved with Comic Book Nation, we put up every uh, new episodes every Wednesday and Friday on ComicBook.com. We can subscribe to our RSS feed, so you can always get regular updates about the show. Or you can subscribe on your favorite listening platform on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts. Google Playlist, or tell any Amazon Alexa device, play Comic Book Nation podcast, and it will fire up for you. If you want to discuss anything we've been talking about today, or just reach out to us in general, hit us up at the hashtag Comic Book Nation on Twitter, or you can find me at Kofi Outlaw. You can find me at Matt Aguilar CB. And you can find me at Jamie Lovett. And every so often, if you want to leave us a five-star review on iTunes, I was thinking about how I was going to phrase this. Uh, <laughs> That's where you try to speak and think at the same time right there. Um, on iTunes, we send you some Comic Book Nation swag. We read a whole bunch last Jeez. time. They're keeping Jim already busy on the mailing yep. front. Um, yeah, let me just take a minute and just take a note because uh, I've gotten some messages from people. We do tend to send, because we're reading these in batches, we tend to send the T-shirt out in batches. Yes. Um, and we don't do it like every time, like one, one, one. Um, we're, we're part of the CBS corporate machine so we got to do things in machine fashion and they just like to do things efficiently so in batches so uh yeah give us a couple weeks after we read your review and you send us your info give us about two weeks because it takes about that time for us to get a batch out you might Mm -hmm. be in the next batch so um don't think we've forgotten about don't worry you'll get your shirt yeah we'll get your shirt but i mean always reach out to me if you're if you're worried i can always make inquiries for you i don't mind doing that but uh just to let you know the parameters it might take about two weeks or so because like i said we gotta send these out in batches and i gave jim viscardi a lot to do last time 
So that'll do it for this episode of Comic Book Nation, but make sure you tune in as we'll be back uh, next episode. Continue bringing all the great geek things we'd like to talk about here at comicbook.tom. And so we're going to say goodbye. Deuces. Deuces.